I want to welcome everyone here, um, especially the visitors. If this is the first time you're attending this class, welcome. My name is Russell Atkins. I'm actually filling in for Dr. Tim Jennings. We are studying lesson number five in our quarterly, uh, entitled Revelation. Uh, on a personal note, I want to thank all of you for thoughts and prayers regarding my dad. He is He came safely through the surgery. Um, he had to have half of a total hip surgery done due to a fall and fracture. Uh, and he's back uh, in skilled nursing care, uh, continuing the rehab process. So I want to thank uh, all of you for thoughts and prayers and well wishes on that. Um, let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, I want to thank you for being a God big enough to speak this world into existence and being a God caring enough to kneel down in the dirt and form mankind in your own image with your own hands and breathe the breath of life into him. Thank you for uh, one day in seven that we can set aside the cares and, and uh, trivias of the daily um, and weekly grind and we can reflect on your being a God of love and a God of freedom uh, and Please continue to work in God in each of our lives and transform our characters so that we may be more like you and be ready when you come again. Now, ask that you be with those of our group who are not with us today and bring them safely back in the weeks ahead. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word Revelation? Book of Revelation. Okay, Book of Revelation. What, what does that bring to your mind? Okay, prophecy, revealing. Anything else? Finding out things you didn't already know. Okay. How the story ends, the last three chapters. All right, good. First thing that comes to my mind when uh, I hear Revelation is the book of Revelation and and everything that uh, is included in that with all the multi-headed beasts with different animal likenesses, and the church that I grew up in, fear was the first thing that came to mind when I heard Revelation. Um, that the, quote, time of trouble and the, uh, the disaster that is going to hit this planet uh, when the angels are no longer holding back the four winds of strife, and in the past five years, I've, I've come to a different appreciation of Revelation, of the word Revelation, and that in the book itself. Um, this, this lesson is not about the book of Revelation, just uh, for those of you who haven't studied. But whenever I heard, heard the word Revelation, I immediately conjured up visions of harlots and beasts and drinking wine or fornication and all the, uh, all the dark speech that is associated with that. And it was scary. You know, when you're... Uh, sixth, seventh, eighth grader, and you go to these Revelation seminars, uh, these are the images that are presented, and sadly still are in many of our evangelistic efforts. We're going to be discussing today about a revealing, an unfolding of the being of God and the, the will of God. Uh, so let's dive right in. Uh, someone read the memory text for Sabbath's lesson. This is Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Okay. Any thoughts? 
I think what it says to me is God meets people where they are. He spoke in many and various ways. All right. The emphasis is on clarity. You know, previously, you may have been confused, and many people look at the God of the Old Testament as being a cruel and, and terrible being, and yet um, the clearest image is of Christ and who God is. And if you then look at that image and reflect on he was the God of the Old Testament, it makes it a lot clearer. Exactly. And this is something that um, Tim has spoken very eloquently about, is not not trying to make Christ fit to the God of the Old Testament, but using Christ and his life on this earth as a filter through which we view the God of the Old Testament. Because if you, if you look at it carefully, there are no differences. We need to answer one fundamental question. What is God wanting to reveal? What is it that he seeks to reveal? Himself. The character of your father. Truth his love for us. Okay, his character, truth, his love, and himself. I think those all point to the same thing. Why is he needing to do this? Because he's got a law. He lives and functions in and around his own law. Okay. And he's been accused of not being fair or well, I can't find a word, but uh, he, he's on he's on trial. We've heard that, and so uh, uh, the highest of angels has been telling lies about him for millenniums. So successfully that he deceived a third of the heavenly host, who lived within the very presence of God, who knew, who could have evaluated the evidence. Either way, and they chose to believe Lucifer's lies. Yes? I would very much agree with that. I would just word it slightly differently. Rather than saying God has a law, that sounds like something that is separate from him. God is a law. God is love. He doesn't command love. Right. Love. That is the essence. And I think that, that from in my mind, there was a very significant distinction. That is the essence of reality. God is the essence of reality. Love, functioning in love, that is the essence of, of our the very core of reality. That's who he is. That's what he is. And that's how we are designed to function in reality, in God, in the way he is. It isn't something that's separate from him. That he has, that he designs, that he set up. That he arbitrarily put on tablets of stone. That just is. Right. That is the way things work. Well said. Thank you. I'm not jumping too far ahead, but on Monday, in the first paragraph, um, there's a sentence there that kind of speaks to that same thing. And I'll talk about it. Read it, please. Um, The Christian believes that God is the supreme lawgiver and that he has placed in humanity a conscience. I don't want to talk about the conscience right now, but in relationship to her comment, I don't know that he is the supreme lawgiver. He's the supreme law revealer. Mm. He said he's not the supreme lawgiver, he's the supreme law revealer. Right. Okay, he's not giving he's not giving us his law of love, he's revealing or he has revealed his law of love. In the concept of this lesson this week he is revealing himself, which means that he is revealing his law 
and revealing everything about himself. Hmm. Okay. So he's not giving something. He's not dictating something. Right. That this has to be done. Right. This is how things are. Okay. Good. So we've established what it is God is trying to reveal. Why is He having to reveal it? Because of the misunderstanding about it from Satan's lies. Right. Misunderstanding with whom? With the universe. All of the universe? Well, they had questions. They weren't really settled for, for quite some time. All their questions answered until actually the cross. So, okay, so correct. Were, even though they, a lot of the universe remained loyal, still, those questions were in their minds. Okay, let's, let's apply it to us now, uh, this little blue marble, third rock from the sun. When Adam and Eve believed Lucifer... I should say when Eve believed Lucifer and Adam believed Eve. What happened? It broke trust. Okay, trust was broken. Lies believed lead to broken trust, which leads to fear, fear. fear and selfishness. We can, we can recite this verbatim, which leads to sins. The commodities that you and I recognize in ourselves and we recognize more in others as sins. <laughs> <laughs> so God has been trying from that very instant to that that darkened humanity's mind and, and every every offspring, every generation, every progeny since then has has been born with that darkened mind and has needed to have God revealed to them. Okay, this is why he's been constantly pursuing humanity. Yeah, I think it also gave legitimacy to Satan's argument that uh, you can't trust him. I mean, you don't trust him, and I don't trust him, and your creation doesn't trust him. So uh, that sort of you know, legitimized Satan's argument. Uh, so, so Satan can, can claim to the rest of the universe... See these humans, they they're they're mine, they follow my ways and methods and principles, and they're they're part of my kingdom. Yeah, they agree with me, not God. Okay. Okay, this is this is an interesting way of Satan being able to still hurt God. Right? Yes. Maybe one of the one of the other things that happened is I think even before Adam and Eve sinned, God was in the process of revealing himself. Oh, of course. And I think that has always been his desire that the, from the moment he created, he was going to be revealing himself. When Adam and Eve sinned, that possibility or that that process of revelation became exceedingly complicated. Right. Yeah, I mean, because he was, you know, when, when when Lucifer rebelled, he's trying to win Lucifer back to back to trust. God wasn't complete and never will be complete. It wasn't complete before Adam and Eve sinned. As created beings, we will for eternity, God will be for eternity revealing himself. Amen. But at that moment in time and at, at in, in Satan's mind, that process became very complicated and very, you used the word darkened. I think too that, you know, the, the main accusation was Satan made, you have to understand, it's not just 
you know, sort of a general sort of nipple sin, you know, on all its many facets, but the main one was the this creator here is all about power, you know, keeping himself above you. And uh, if you eat from this tree, you know, you'll be as him, you'll be like him, and he doesn't want that. And so I think that's, uh, you know, the, as time rolls on, uh, the, it becomes like, or until the cross at least, the, the, the answer of that argument was, if I was all about power, why would I let this happen? Uh, let me ask you this, was that a lie when Satan told Eve that you will be like God? Knowing good from evil? Was that a lie? That wasn't a lie. That was the truth. They became... Evil existed. Evil had already existed. And there was, a, there was a knowledge of it in heaven. And Eve didn't know the knowledge of evil until she tasted the fruit. The say, you, know, uh, you know, the heart is exceedingly wicked. Who can know it? So evidently there's parts that we still don't know, even though we know... But Eve's, Eve's human heart wasn't exceedingly wicked at that point, right? I mean, before she tasted, before she distrusted God and took the fruit, her her heart, her human heart was not evil. It was it was created perfect from Adam's side. The lie was, "You shall you shall surely not die." That was the lie that Satan told that that can, he he promised he promised Eve immortality whether she took the fruit I and mean, if she took the fruit. He also promised that it could be better. Yes. Yeah. It could be better than what he had given them. Right. The lie was that God did not have their best interest in mind. Right. It was something better than what God had offered them. Correct. Well, they were naked, and then they thought that they need to cover that nakedness. So prior to being naked when they were innocent, naked was okay. They didn't know it was evil. And after they they knew realized naked, they knew realized nakedness was evil. Were they naked or were they clothed with a robe of light? Well, yeah, despite that it wasn't evil. And his nakedness evil. Yeah. I mean, they got confused. They got really confused. But Right, something happened in their minds. The concept of well at least when I was a little child uh, at night in bed and I got scared of the boogeyman and wanted everything covered up. And if, you know, you didn't even, even if you got hot on a summer night, you didn't stick your foot out from under the covers because you wanted to cover it up. There was something about that that made them, that made them, made me feel protected. The clothes made us feel that we could keep the boogeyman at bay and God had become a boogeyman. Mm-hmm. And I think they were trying to, in a lot of ways, pull the covers up over their head. But something changed in Adam and Eve's mind. They said, we saw we were naked and we felt ashamed. They didn't know why they felt ashamed. They may have been, they may have been naked before. Uh, my understanding is they were clothed in a robe of light. Uh, who knows what that looks like? But let's look at Sunday's lesson. God reveals Himself through nature. Someone look up Psalms one through four, and someone else Romans one eighteen through twenty, please. Let's read the Psalms text first. So whoever gets it first, shout it out. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is drawn out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. Okay, thank you. Uh, Romans 1, 18-20. This is a very familiar passage for those who are regular the members. God is being revealed from heaven against all the God godlessness and wickedness of men 
who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it made it uh, plain to them, for since the cre creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Tremendous. Uh, I agree. I don't know that Charles Darwin would agree with you, but uh, I agree that this is, a, this is a very powerful passage, this Romans one. From your observations of nature, um, what, what sorts of things can we glean from nature, of, uh, and what views of God's character does nature give us? I like this sentence in the first paragraph there under Adventist home. It is his desire that we should associate the glories of nature with his character. Okay. Does uh, a cheetah chasing a gazelle down on the Serengeti? What does that? What does that reveal about God? I mean, do do we need to be discerning? I'm sure that we can find something beautiful in it, but we got to remember that that's part of sin. Oh, I agree. It's part of the infection. So, so we have to be discerning. We have to exercise proper judgment uh, in order to to glean some things about God's character from nature. Correct. Right. Okay. The fact that. The fact that people die. Tornadoes. <laughs> Tornadoes that, that tear up boat covers. Yeah, it's terrible. In my house this first time in a long time. Flies. Flies, okay. And I killed them all. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand, the renewness of life that we're seeing right. and experiencing this spring is just beautiful. It's been such a wonderful, slow spring that we're seeing all the order of glory and beauty coming up from the earth. Okay. Well, I, I had written down six things, six facets of God's character that we can see through uh, nature that is just off the top of my head. I'm, uh, I want you guys to contribute more. One is that God is ordered and organized. Look at everything from the atom to the, to the uh, solar system. Uh, everything, everything behaves in in order. It has mathematic order to it. What else can we see? What else can we see about God if, if we're looking at it with a discerning mind uh, in nature? What are the character attributes? He's a genius. I mean, just looking at the complexity of it all and, and the huge amount of diversity in everything, you know? Okay. It's amazing. Yeah, I had written down majestic and infinite. Steps to Christ says... Uh, the love of God is written upon the opening blades of grass. Okay, he's a loving God. <clears throat> a sustaining power. Okay. Even the jagged rocks that make huge mountains on the west coast uh, <coughs> reveal the awesomeness Majest the beauty. majesty of God. Okay, yeah, he's a God that loves beauty. I, I had that one down. God is a healer, and that's also revealed in nature. Okay, excellent. Well said. I didn't have that one. Thank you. I think there are things in nature that, that show that God has a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. Until Hubble, we did not fully appreciate the text that says uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. Correct. Yes, sir. Even Romans says the wrath of God is revealed. So he, he is a God of wrath. Okay. What else does that passage define as the wrath of God? Uh, no, no. This is verses 18, 20, and 22. Allowing us to do what we want to do. 
So he gives us the freedom, too. He's a God of freedom. Right. He gives us up to our choices if we, if we demand it. Does nature show that God is a patient God? Yeah, he could have made the, the little seed I put in the ground come up now. <laughs> Good one, yes. That's correct. Um, the, just the mere fact that that God has allowed his creation to suffer uh, for as long as it has, show, I think, shows his patience. I mean, you, one could look at that and show that he's a terrible God for allowing it to go on as long as he has. But I think it shows God's patience and and willingness to, to wait until humanity has come to a rational conclusion or an irrational conclusion, depending on the choice you make. Yes? When I think of nature, I think of the physical sciences. In the university setting, you have biology or physics or mathematics or whatever. Mm -hmm. You talk to any of the people who are at the um, extreme limits of their field, and each one of them has learned incredible insights about God. Mm And it just seems like no matter what direction you go to in nature or in the physical sciences, that um, it just keeps on going to the infinite. And to think that God is the master of all that is just incredible. I agree. The fact that he uh, takes care of the little birds when there's storms. I was thinking when I hear them in the morning how sweet it is to hear those birds. And wouldn't it be terrible if they were all just dashed away mm-hmm. and the moon shining at night see it up there just floating around by itself mm-hmm. what holds it I like the that nature shows that God likes the process of growth everything grows mm. good uh, excellent I, I hadn't uh, I hadn't thought of that one thank you that God likes God um, appreciates the process of growth maturity maturing um, back to Dr. Moses' comment, I, I had a patient who is, one could argue, at the top of his field uh, in the sciences. And I asked him what his thoughts on, were on evolution. He said that he fully believes that evolution occurred and is occurring. I took a step back and, and said, well, what about the biblical account of creation? He said, well... He was not yet convinced that that was the way things had happened. He wasn't convinced whether, he wasn't sure whether it was an allegory, you know, a thousand years to a day, whether you know, creation occurred over a thousand years or, or what. We need to pray for our young people. <laughs> yes, we do, for many reasons. But how did a man like Darwin observe nature and draw the conclusions that he did? Was Darwin mistaken in his observations? No. No, he wasn't. He, he observed. He observed things correctly. He wrote down what he observed. He was, I believe, mistaken in his conclusions. He observed the infection. He observed the survival of the fittest mentality that has infected nature, which is why the cheetah uh, selects the slowest gazelle from the herd, or, or the youngest, the one that can't keep up. There's one other character trait of God that wasn't mentioned yet, uh, which I think is very important. I, I think nature, and we've been over this many times in, in class here, I think nature shows that God is a, God, a giving God. 
Uh, we have the respiration cycle where we, we give off carbon dioxide. Trees take that and give us oxygen. We have the water cycle where the water evaporates to the clouds and is rained back down over the land and collects in rivers, streams, and lakes and back to the sea, and that cycle com completes. We have the carbon cycle, which is a cycle that was an intervention uh, by God in the face of a sinful world where when things die, there is reduced back down to its uh, common element of carbon, and this brings forth new life. Okay? This was not part of God's original plan, the carbon cycle. This was an intervention that had to be had to be made in order for life to be sustained on this on this planet. There's numerous other cycles. Uh, if you want, if you're ever in Manhattan, go to the Natural History Museum and come out. Come out. All the things they have there with the creation perspective. It's a. It'll be a great two day experience. There's a hand up over here. Yeah, I was just thinking your your gazelle and your uh, cheetah. Those you know mm -hmm. The, uh, you, know, you know, that whole survival of the fittest that we see in that, uh, you know, that, that imagery uh, really is not God. We don't, that nature, so nature doesn't, nature reveals the, the, the anti-God too, I guess. Nature reveals the infection, correct. And that's what Darwin observed. Yeah, and the, and, and the fact that, the, you know, the survival of the fittest because the, the scriptures are always say, you know, protect the oppressed, protect the weak, whereas that the Darwinism is just the totally opposite of that. So the weak should let let it be gone. They they infect the gene pool, you know. Correct. So we need to have discernment and judgment when we when we go out and observe nature so that we're not drawing uh, mistaken conclusions about nature as well. So we've identified some characteristics and aspects of who and what God is um, that we can see from nature. The lesson asked a compelling question at the bottom of Sunday's lesson. Uh, it says, at the same time, what things about God does nature not tell us? Paul tells us in Romans that everything that can be known about God is his power and his infinite qualities can be known from what God has made. Is there anything that nature cannot tell us about God? Not, or does not tell us? I'm not certain that forgiveness or redemption are as clearly revealed in nature. Excellent. Is it forgiveness of if someone beats a dog and the dog comes back and after a few hours and is happy with him and wants to lick him and wants to be petted again? Would that be considered forgiveness because the dog's not thinking? You know, forgiveness. So that would be a difficult stretch to. Interesting. I would tend to lean that would more reveal a type of unconditional love. Yeah, I, I'm tending to agree with Dr. Moses that, that I'm having a tough time seeing how forgiveness can be Could you define revealed in nature. How do we define forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Not, not holding it against a person, something they've done wrong. Okay. It's, it's associated very closely with unconditional love. Correct. Correct. First Corinthians 13. Right. Forgiveness is a facet of unconditional love. Any other definitions of forgiveness? 
loving the person no matter what they do. You don't have to love the act, but you still love the person. God still loves us no matter what sin we're in. It doesn't mean that we change and love him. Okay. Back to the dog scenario. Back to the dog. Uh-huh. Not a cat. <laughs> that is more characteristic of their nature. Correct. A little bias going on over here. <laughs> uh, he, he may have been someone who's actually owned a dog and a cat. And he just may be observant. <laughs> In the back, shout it out for the mic, please. But isn't it more of a um, conscious choice? to choose not to hold that wrong against the person who perpetrated it, not okay. necessarily um, an instinctual act like we would expect from an animal, more of a conscious decision. Well, for for humankind, it, it, it typically is a conscious choice. For God, it's not. I don't, at least I don't believe it is. I believe forgiveness is... His being, it emanates from his very being, his very character, forgiveness does. And that's what he's trying to get us to come to the place. Correct, that's, the, that's what he's, he's trying to transform us to the place where forgiveness emanates from our very being as well. Interesting, uh, any other facets of God's character that, that we cannot see in nature? I think we can see... The nature of the sin infection, but we can't see where that came from or the plans for the restoration. We can't see the history. We can't see what's behind it, behind the infection. Okay. Yeah, we can't go back to the beginning and, and see when nature got infected. You know, our only source of that is scripture. Good. Excellent. Uh, I hadn't thought of that one either. Any. Someone who doesn't have the knowledge of the whole big picture, they could read, they could read something false about God through nature. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely, and have. All right, good. Let's move on. Let's talk about conscience here. Monday's lesson. Someone look up Romans two fourteen and fifteen. Someone else take Matthew 27, 3 through 5. And then someone else look up Genesis 3, 15, please. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. Thank you. Any thoughts on this passage? Does God give everyone a conscience? Okay, good question to ask. Does God give everyone a conscience? Yes. 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 <laughs> we can Do we have a conscience prior to creation, or was that an intervention... That God made in humanity to combat the effects of of sin. Well, Adam and Eve knew they had done wrong because they did. Okay, that's evidence that 
we had conscience prior to the fall. Eve knew that she shouldn't go by that tree because she had been warned. Well, she had been told that. I, I don't know that that was a, I don't know that she was compelled by her conscience to avoid the tree. She, she'd been instructed by Christ and, and angels to avoid that part of the garden or the, to avoid the tree in specific. A healthy conscience okay my question though was where did conscience originate is a conscience a part of choice do you have a choice without okay good question yes my thought was um, the beauty of guilt brings us to repentance the beauty of guilt brings us to repentance So conscience was the enmity, was part of the enmity. Ah, interesting, okay. Totally corrupt and abased. That's the Genesis 3.15 text. Do you have that one? Mm -hmm. Read it, please. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. I always thought that was a prophecy. It is. But putting the enmity between man and the accuser uh, we, we this is great we have we have evidence for both we have evidence that conscience existed prior to the fall and here we have evidence that that uh, conscience may have been given or certainly refined after the fall yes sir you know, we were made, it says in Genesis 1, though, that we were made in his image. I mean, uh, you know, I don't know if animals have consciousnesses, but, uh, okay. but maybe that is part of being made in his image. And so it would be there before the image. So God might have a conscience himself? Yes. Hmm, interesting. I, I hadn't considered that. Conscience is a safeguard, like she was saying, to, to go completely in the wrong direction. It keeps us... Well, can when it's functioning correctly, yes. You know, getting back to the man's quote there, that the human heart is evil above all things. Who can know it? Sometimes our consciences uh, don't betray us. Sometimes our consciences aren't adequate. Is that our conscience betraying us? You can see it. Paul, Paul thinks... Paul thought it was... Um, Let's see. The hang on, just saying what? Define conscience. Oh, we need to define conscience. Okay, that's a good point. What is it? It says in the lesson that it is defined as the faculty or inward principle that helps us decide between right and wrong. Therefore, God would have a conscience because He can only do right. That's His nature to do right. He doesn't decide to do right over wrong. He just does right. So, would He have a conscience? Well, that's the earthly definition of conscience. Conscience. Correct. There's a text that's uh, maybe spirit prophecy that says that the conscience is God speaking to man. I was trying to find because I heard that in conjunction with Paul, uh, where he rebuked the high priest. Uh And he said, never have I... uh, you know, violated my conscience. I can't say that, but Paul said that. Yeah. 
First Corinthians four four, Paul is speaking. He says, "My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord that judges me." Was it Paul that said, "Do the things I don't want to do? I don't do the things I want to do." Right. So we have here compelling evidence that our consciences may not be God speaking to us. Uh, Andrea Yates, uh, when she drowned her five kids in Texas in the bathtub, um, she was doing it because God was telling her to, according to her testimony. Now, how many of us in this room believe that God told Andrea Yates to drown her five kids? But we can see we can see our own conscience, our own conscience through sin. Of course, we can, absolutely. And if she had a mental condition, that mental condition could interfere. Certainly. But from a little bit close down. Yeah, it's your head. Yes, sir. So if God, God told if somebody said God told me to go to you know Ethiopia and build a church. I mean, we would have no problem with that. You know. Um, so, I mean, mm-hmm. are we putting ourselves over God by sort of pre-assuming what God, you know, who can who can say, well, what you heard wasn't God. I mean, we, we kind of make ourselves God. That kind of way. But anyway, that was my point. My point was back to the who can know it. It says, and we were in Psalm 19 earlier, and verse 12 says, who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from my secret faults. Keep that your servant also from presumptuous sin. Let, me not, let them not have dominion over me. I mean, uh, so even David realized uh, there's errors I commit that I don't even know. Exactly. Yes, sir. I think there's a difference between our conscience, which is a guiding force of our life, which Jesus said, I'll send you the Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth. That's what Jesus' own testimony was, okay? In our own natural desire to do the wrong, which is our natural desire. Mm-hmm. I believe there's a difference in those two, and when we say that we have sheared, uh, seared our conscience, which means we have no longer listening to the Holy Spirit drawing us to God, and therefore we're doing the natural part of our own desires. I think there's a difference in that. Isn't that the unpardonable sin when we no longer respond to the Holy Spirit? Yes. And our conscience does no longer respond? That's a pretty good definition of it. When we have lost the capability of of communication with the Holy Spirit, do we have any other definitions of conscience? Do you have a definition of conscience that you're partial to? With with the statement by their fruits, you shall know them. Have anything to do with being able to judge other? She heard God's voice telling her to drown the children or somebody going to Ethiopia to build a church. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we know that. I mean, maybe it wasn't God that told them to go there to build the church. But right. We can be pretty sure that God didn't tell her to drown all her kids. I don't know. Well, he didn't tell Abraham. Yeah. There you go. Think of John Lark. She didn't talk directly to God like Abraham did. Well, Probably not, but the the key the key difference there is that God intervened with Abraham, but God did tell him to pack up his son and take him to the mountain and, and sacrifice him. He knew 
knew Abraham knew God's voice because he was at the well acquainted with you know, that was an interesting command because what God abhorred for all those uh, nations for what sacrificing their children. That's what he. Oh, uh, yeah, among other things. Let's see, we've read Romans 2 14 15. Someone uh, who has Matthew uh, 27 3 through 5 text. Then Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, regretted what had happened when he saw that Jesus was condemned. He brought the 30 silver coins back to the chief priests and leaders. He said, I sinned by betraying an innocent man. They replied, What do we care? That's your problem. So he threw the money into the temple, went away, and hanged himself. What does this have to do with conscience? The human nature is sin, and the conscience is basically the counterforce to bring us to a neutral where we can make a decision. It's basically the sinful nature gives us all the evidence for evil, and the conscience gives us the evidence for good, and then balance, balance each other out where we can have a free choice whether we go with evil or good. And uh, there's a Native American, uh, I guess, saying is that inside you there's two wolves, and uh, which one you feed is stronger and the one that's weaker. And I think it's basically the same, is if you feed darker side or, or if you feed your conscience, then uh, that's one gets stronger. And the same thing, I think, in each person happens. Okay. Any thoughts? But one problem with conscience is that it, it is shaped by the environment we live. So something we do here in America may not be sinful, so therefore the conscience is not against it. But when we go to another country where we violate on the law, it becomes different. So therefore we cannot rely on conscience. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit that's telling us where to go according to the Bible. Excellent point. Thank you. There's cultural differences. There are gender differences in conscience. You know, our parents, anyone here raised that uh, if you were out hiking on Sabbath and you found a creek and if you achieved pos positive buoyancy, that's a sin. But going in up to your knees, that's okay. It's just walking. Any... Does that sound familiar to anyone? Okay. We can kind of smirk about it and chuckle, but... Yeah. <laughs> and invariably, on the hike, there's the kid that slips on a rock, and boom, okay, all wet. Might as well swim now. Um, and if you, if you were raised in a family where that was frowned upon, then your conscience is, is shaped to the point that swimming on the Sabbath uh, is... I mean, you're, you're going to burn. And there are others who, who were raised in a different household where things like that are perfectly acceptable and enjoyable Sabbath activity. So uh, his point that there are cultural uh, differences and regional differences and familial differences in how our consciences are, are developed. But Paul addresses that either in Colossians or Galatians where he says, let each person be convinced in your own mind. And so it is more about whether you are intentional about following what you know to be or believe to be right or don't. So that kind of addresses the whole cultural things and puts that into perspective. Right, and dovetails nicely with the passage we read earlier about um, Gentiles being a law unto themselves. Their consciences convicting and, and defending them. 
this discussion makes me really wonder if we understand what conscience really is. Because on the one hand, I don't think anyone in here would say conscience is a bad thing. Or that God would give us a bad thing. And yet what I hear is something that can be extremely destructive, very fickle, very unreliable, very, uh, as in the case of Andrea Yates. It makes me wonder if we're not really understanding what conscience is. Well, I readily admit that I don't. Uh, and this, it, it, would, it would be far better if Tim, you know, with his neuroanatomy uh, background and his uh, psychological background we're here discussing conscience uh, no question about it Dr. Chalmers on a series that he did before he passed away and he's quoting the spirit of prophecy conscience is the voice of God in the heart of man the thoughts of God made audible is what I'm thinking I think Andrea Yates might disagree, or the jury disagree. But, but, but then there's clarification, and he comes back in that series that he did, that there's clarification to that. And, and um, in other words, train up a child, what we were saying before. If a child has been raised to throw a ball on Sabbath is sin, and another one is this is Sabbath time with Dad. This is this is this is great. Uh, it's it's we are responsible, and our, we build our consciences. Okay, uh, I'm not going to you know what, argue that it may or may not have been. We got a lot of hands. Uh, Scott, did you have a comment? Okay, in the uh, ma'am in the back. I like what the lesson said, that our conscience is a God-given tool for moral decision-making. And all the decision-making that has killed children and that have abused children or whatever it is, it's because sin is in the world, because Satan is there. You know, that says it's a gift. And whatever God gives us as a gift, we have the choice of how we use it. Okay, and the gift can be counterfeited. Yes, ma'am. I didn't bring my concordance with me, but I was looking for a text, and I think this is it. And I, I wrote it in another version in the bottom here, but I don't know exactly what translation it is. But anyway, it's uh, Romans 2, 14, 15. He will punish the heathen when they sin, even though they never had God's written law. For down in their hearts they know right from wrong. God's laws are written within them. They, uh, Their own conscience is ex uh, causing them. Accuses them, or sometimes excuses them. It, it, to me, this is saying that everybody's got everybody's got one, and it's educated by, you know, your family values. Yes, sir. Or the lack of. Mm -hmm. In Ellen White notes for the Sad School lesson, it's written here that the conscience of man cannot be trusted unless it is under the influence of divine grace. Ah. Satan takes advantage of an unenlightened <coughs> conscience and thereby. Leads men to all manner of delusions. Excellent. Thank you for that. Scott? Yeah, that actually was kind of, I think when people worry about what conscience is, you know, is it trustworthy or not, is that they're getting confused about feelings, you know, and conscience. I mean, right. feelings definitely can lead you astray, but if it's conscience, I think that's different than feelings because it is based on that framework. I think everybody does know right to wrong, it's just whether they act on conscience or they act on one more comment, and then we're going to have to wrap things up. Yes, sir. Uh, Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Uh, 
you know, the, it's, the, there's two different things there. So there's, there's the lamp and then there's the feet. And I think that's your choices, you know, your path is your choices. And the word is a, so they're, they're, they're not the same thing. They're, one influences the other. Okay. To uh, hopefully kind of tie things together, in order to not be misled by our conscience <clears throat> or be deceived by our conscience, what fundamental process has to take place in each of us to lessen the possibility of that happening? What do you say? Change. Okay. Nurturing a relationship with God. We have, thank you, we have to either begin or continue to develop a relationship and a knowledge of who God is. And the, the only way to do this is the evidence of Jesus Christ on this earth. That's the character that we need to emulate. That's the being that we need to get to know and to understand in order to not be deceived. But only with his help do we do that. Okay, thank you all for your input. Let's, let's close with a word of prayer. Eternal Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for the gift of conscience, and we ask your guidance uh, today as we continue to make an effort to discern the right from wrong and your will from the counterfeit. Please continue to guide our class, both individually and collectively. Please continue to guide our church, uh, and please continue to transform each of us so that when you come again, we may be standing ready. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.